been doing with the congregation in Corinth. Uh, in chapter 7, uh, he addresses their repentance over, their, uh, over the sin of keeping a man in their congregation who was immoral with his father's wife. And the people didn't respond in anger towards him. They weren't defiant towards him. And uh, it, was, it was evident that they had soft hearts and they turned from their sin and, and they gave themselves not just uh, to the Lord but to Paul. And this was very encouraging to Paul, but there were some other things that weren't as encouraging. As he was uh, with them, uh, or as he uh, heard from them, they were uh, belittling him in his gifts. And so during this time, he, he actually shares his strong affection for them and how committed he is to them. And he's confident in their relationship uh, with Christ, and he is very generous uh, towards them as he speaks with them. And this is for a good reason, because he's, he's warming them up uh, to the tender, resolute care that he's shown for the church. He's doing this for good reason. He's about to address the promised gift that they are uh, looking to give to the Jewish brethren in Jerusalem. Now, these uh, brothers in Jerusalem were a very poor church. Uh, and they weren't just poor because of persecution. They were poor because of a great famine that had come over the land. Maybe similar to what we read about earlier in Genesis. And so you've got the, the Jews, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. The church is struggling there. They're not just struggling with uh, the persecution under the Roman government. They're also dealing with coming out of uh, essentially their, their Jewish practices. They would have been disowned by their families. They would have been banned from the temple. They would have faced persecution from the Roman government, maybe the confiscation of their property. They would have faced the threat of death. And so they're going through some very difficult times. And the Corinthians, they hear about this, and they're overjoyed because they know that they can assist them, that they have uh, the opportunity to give to their brothers, some of whom they've never met. And that's really where we find ourselves when we're coming into chapter 8, verses 1 to 15, so please uh, read along with me. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now finish doing it also, so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, 
so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance may also become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, but he who gathered little had no lack. This is the word of the Lord. So in this passage, we have the Apostle Paul give two righteous examples of generosity. Uh, we see the first in the Church of Philippi, and we see the second um, in him pointing their attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. But he also recalls their past eagerness that they desired to do this work, to genuinely uh, give to the Church of Jerusalem. But before we discuss these things further, I'd like to establish a few doctrines of God's economy, how God deals with our resources. And they're very simple, and they can be taught from the children's catechism. How many of you know uh, the first five questions? There's a couple of you, maybe in the back. So uh, I was practicing the sermon the other day, and, and Jake was pretty good at it. Um, but I'm going to have you join with Jake and others. So the first question is, who made you? God. What else did God make? So why did God make you in all things? How can you glorify God? By loving Him and doing what He commands. Why ought you to glorify God? Because He made me and takes care of me. So if God made us, we should glorify Him. And if He made all things then all things should glorify Him. So if He's given some of those things to us, we should use them to glorify Him. Just as we are His, so also the things that He has given us are His. He's made all things, and therefore He owns all things. And this logic is very simple, isn't it? It's very clear, it's very plain. But in our minds, uh, we do not understand this rightly. Our minds are twisted, and in fact, we hold on to the things that God has given us. We think that if, they've given, if God has given them to us, we can do with them as we please. We make the decisions. When the paycheck comes, when uh, the, the, the deposit is made into our account, when we put the check in, we think, okay, this is the money that I've got to spend with the money that I've earned. And so we don't consider that all of these things are from God, and it's not just our finances, but that's particularly what... Um, is addressed here in this passage. We think we've obtained it by our own means, and it's not the case. All that we have is not ours, not our homes, not our cars, not our families, not even our own lives. We know that Scripture says we were bought with a price. We were bought because though we were created to worship God, we rebelled against Him, and we were called back to worship Him by Jesus Christ, paying the penalty of our sins. We were purchased back. We were redeemed. He bought us back so that we might glorify God. And so I know this is all very simple, but you see in the garden, Adam and Eve given a command. The command is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So after God has given them everything, after He's established uh, His rule, then He has created the earth and all that's in it, and then He says to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. 
And so this is the purpose of the things that we're given. This is the reason that God has created this world. For us to do those things. And this is how we glorify Him. And so, He has created this world for us to keep it and the things in it. But also, God is gracious in that He keeps us and cares for us in it. And that's what the second doctrine of God's economy is about. How does God keep and care for us? He distributes all things. God owns all things, they're all His, and then He distributes them according to His will. He gives us plant for food, timber for trees, or timber from trees for houses. He gives us gas for our cars. He gives us skills and abilities for work. He gives us intelligence for trade and for commerce and government. He gives us children that the next generation would rise up and proclaim His kingdom. He's given all these things according to His will, according to His plan. And what that also means is that the things that God has kept from us, He has kept out of His discretion, out of His wisdom. And so we don't have them, and so we become jealous of others that do. And that's not the intention that God has for us at all. It's also our temptation that we think that we've acquired these things in our own strength, that we think that we've, because we've worked, because we've worked hard, because we've perfected our skills and abilities, that the things that uh, we do at our work or with our time that earn us, uh, the money that we do have, which is really God's, we think we can earn that on our own by our own strength. And it's not the case. It is God's, and it is for His glory. And so we would do well to meditate on these things, these very simple things that God created everything and owns everything, and then distributes all things as He sees need, and not just for our needs, but that we would provide for others' needs. This would break down our pride and destroy our jealousy. And we see that example here in the churches of Macedonia. So let's look at that church now. The true testimony of the Apostle Paul about the churches throughout Macedonia is astounding. It's, a, it's really difficult for us to imagine the genuine generosity which with they gave to their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. It's difficult for us to understand because we're so wealthy and they were afflicted at this time. They were in a great affliction. So uh, Paul doesn't say what exactly it was, but we know that they were facing great adversity themselves. And it's in that context that they are able, uh, not only able to give, but that they do give generously. And it's evident that they, in the region, did not stress about this. They didn't get upset. They weren't filled with anger or self-pity. They didn't keep looking at themselves and thinking how bad their situation is. But the fact is that they trusted that God distributes all things, not just the adversity that was taking place in Jerusalem, but their own. And they still wanted to give. In fact, it says that even in their deep poverty, that they desired, that they begged. They begged Paul, please, can we be a part of this? Can we give? And they didn't have anything themselves. And we're so rich. And things for the most part, are going well for us. We've had a church break-in or two, but we're all here, we're all comfortable, we have seats, the sound system's working nicely now. We have comfort, we have clothing, we have food, all these things God has graciously given to us. 
And it should stir us on more and more to give generously, to see that God has provided for us, and to be comforted to know that we can then give more because God will provide. And it's often in times that we face great poverty that we are awakened to the fact that God does give us everything that we have. That God does provide all that we have. Sometimes He uses uh, the sickness that we have that makes us ill, that puts us down, and then we can't work. And then we begin thinking as we're laying on our bed how we need to provide for our families or the things that we should be doing. God lays us down. He lays us low. Or we face other hardship. And things become difficult, and we then examine, again, our situation. But if you look back, you can see the history of God's hand always providing, always caring for you, always giving you just enough. And many of the times, He's providing not through you, but He does it through others. And that's absolutely the case with these churches from Macedonia. They were giving generously. And it was in their deep poverty that they gave and it wasn't just in their deep poverty. It was beyond their ability. I, I don't know how to, dis, to describe this or what to make of this. They gave beyond their ability. Meaning, they said, okay, here's what we got. It's not much. Here's what we could give. This would meet all our needs. And we're going to go beyond that. We're going to go even lower. And so what is it that is, is allowing them to give so graciously? What is it that's allowing them to love with such generosity and charity? How could they do that? And they weren't just Stoics, right? It wasn't just out of obligation that they felt they needed to. It wasn't just because they thought, oh, we need to rise to the occasion, we're obligated to these Brothers in Jerusalem, we know that the gospel went forth from them, and we've heard it now, so uh, we, we kind of owe them a debt. And that they felt obligated to do so, we know that because they pleaded with Paul. They begged Paul with much urging that they might participate in the support of the saints, that they might give. When's the last time that you begged to be a part of serving in any way? that you ran up, that you called out, that before the need was mentioned, you went to somebody and said, hey, I know that you're going to need this. I'll help out. And that's just here. Those are just the things that we see. And we should be mindful not just of the needs of our families and our friends, but of other churches Again, we see this generosity wasn't just flowing inside the churches of Macedonia. Their love extended beyond their own church. And they loved greatly. So how could they do that? 1 John four nineteen to 21 says, We love because He first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has seen has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. The truth here is that love comes from God. 
and then it extends to others. You cannot love God, claim to love God, profess to love God, and not love His people. It is not possible. You cannot do it. You're a liar. And it's clear that loving God produces a love for His people. And we see that that's the case with those in Macedonia. We know that their work of charity towards the church in Jerusalem was the result of them first giving themselves to the Lord and to Paul and company by the will of God. Now some of you may ask if there's a difference between the two, you know, giving yourself to God and giving yourself to to Paul and his companions. Here's what Calvin says. It may be asked whether their giving themselves to God and to Paul were two different things. It is quite a common thing that when God charges or commands through means of any one, he associates the person whom he employs as his minister both in authority to enjoin and in the obedience that is rendered. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, say the apostles, while at the same time they merely as instruments, declared what had been revealed and enjoined by the Spirit. Again, the people believed the Lord and His servant Moses. While at the same time Moses had nothing apart from God, this too is what is meant by the clause that follows, by the will of God. So, of course, the same principle is evident in the First John passage. Love from God results in love for His people. This means that you cannot love God without loving His people, And the Macedonians knew the love of God and they gave themselves to Him. That in turn, they would love their brothers, even those whom they had not seen. It's simply the fruit. They loved God. They trusted God. They obeyed God. And so they gave themselves to God first. It wasn't that they gave themselves to the church in Jerusalem. It wasn't that they considered uh, their needs and difficulties and then felt obligated to do so. And I'm not saying that we don't have obligations what I am saying is that the result that um, what I am saying is that they were able to give so generously and sacrificially because it was their love for God. They would have never been so stirred up to give as they did if they had just considered their um, their brother's situation. That would have never given them enough motivation to do what they did. And so it must be seen then that love to God is of primary importance. But it cannot be detached or divided from love for his people, especially his ministers. The Christian who can flitter out, flitter about from group to group or church to church that goes from one place to the next, never committed, is like a floozy. Does anybody know what a floozy is? Maybe some of you older folk. You're all laughing. Does anybody know? Carol, what's a floozy? It's a girl that goes from guy to guy to guy, right? From guy to guy to guy. So it's, and so a Christian can't be a floozy. It'd be like being in a relationship and saying, you know, I, I really, I really love you and we're committed and this is great, but marriage isn't really what I'm looking for now. 
that Christian has no covenant with God because the church is the body of Christ. The marriage will be to the bride and the church now is betrothed to Jesus Christ. The church is betrothed to Jesus Christ. So, you will love and you will give yourselves to God's people if you love God. And I, and I have to confess that this is a gruesome death for us. This is very difficult for us as individualistic Americans. Much of our wealth has given us the opportunity to live on our own, uh, to be independent of one another, to not have to care for one another and need one another, or so we think. And so we've, we've got our wealth and our abundance, and we don't think we need one another. And it's difficult for us to die to ourselves, to give ourselves to one another. Because it wasn't just that they gave their money. They gave themselves. And they gave themselves because the situation was so difficult that they were in that giving things away meant that sacrifice was wholly a part of their life. That, it, that the sacrifices that they gave uh, went into all the different aspects of their life. And they gave of themselves. Um, recently I was thinking about my time in the pastor's college uh, before, before I graduated and I began thinking about the time that I had spent and there were a few things that really got to me and the main thing that really got to me wasn't that I felt guilty about the papers that I hadn't turned in or reading assignments that weren't finished. What I felt guilt about was coming to the end of my time in the pastor's college and not having given myself to the church and to the pastors. And maybe some of you can relate. Maybe you're a mother who has a son who's graduating and you look back over the time and wish that you would have given yourself more and taught more. Or maybe uh, you're coming to an anniversary uh, with, your, with your wife or your husband and you look back and you see um, your failures and you know your guilt in the ways that you have been lazy and slothful and you haven't given yourself, it is difficult for us to give ourselves. But we are obligated, some of you in different ways, some of you with different responsibilities, but it's clear that in the church, we are obligated to give ourselves to one another. And this doesn't just... Um, and this, this extends to everything. And here particularly, it's talking about money. God has given wealth to some of you. And it might be easy for some of you to just think, well, I'm giving my 10%. I tithe. And I don't have to really give myself. I provide for the church in different ways. That's the gift that God's given me. And so I don't really have to, to really give myself to the church and my other gifts. Uh, my money's sufficient. Proverbs 3 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And so I believe here that Solomon mentions uh, the tithe. He's talking about the first fruits. But he also says, honor the Lord with your wealth. And so, yes, you should honor the Lord with the wealth, the, the abundance that he gives you over and above your need. And that can be in many, many ways. 
But the trust is, is then he will provide abundantly. That God will then pour out his blessing on you. That as you give yourself, God gives back more than you ever could. God provides in ways you never thought he would. This is the example of the Macedonian church, or the Macedonian churches. They gave, they gave beyond their need, they urged, they begged. Is this our attitude? And if it's not, Paul uses another example. In verse 9, he appeals to the generosity of Jesus Christ. So, what we have to begin to understand is that uh, Jesus, the Son, reigned with his Father from eternity past before he came here to earth. And there are things that he shared with his Father that he gave up to come here. It's first obvious that with fellowship with his Father, it was perfect and complete, and they were completely unified. And then Jesus comes here to earth, and his parents think that he's insane. His brothers call him crazy. His best friends betray him, and then his enemies murder him. So he leaves eternity in heaven with God, the Father, comes here. He is with the Father in heaven and then fully sufficient, has all things, and then comes here and takes on a body. And with that body, he takes on hunger and thirst. He gets tired. He comes here. He has to toil with his hands. He has to work. He has sweat on his brow. And so Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, left all that. He left all the riches to come here to be poor, to be destitute for your sake, that he might make you rich. This is the example of Jesus Christ. This is him who gave his life. He laid down his life. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of of a servant. He was rich. And for some of you, you don't understand what that truly means that he was rich and he gave up all those riches and what it is he's trying to make you rich with. One of those things is rich with salvation. Some of you here have not believed on the Lord Jesus and you're still in debt with your sin. You've not come to Jesus knowing that you have offended His Father by your sin. That you have broken His law and that He has generously given forgiveness and purchased salvation for you. Something you couldn't do on your own. And in fact, you deserve the very opposite. You deserved the wrath of the Father to be poured out on the debt of your sin. And yet Jesus Christ in His generosity says, Come. He says, Come. And if you are a Christian, this isn't a guilt trip. 
to make you dwell on all the debt that you owe Christ. It's actually to display the vast, abundant grace of Jesus Christ. That He is generous. That He does give. That He's not stingy. God is not stingy in any way towards us. He gives us all that we need. And He provides not just for you, but He gives you things so that you might provide for others. In verse 7, the Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthians of God's blessing through the spiritual gifts that they had received. And if God should, and if God should be so gracious with giving gifts to His church, how will He not also provide for our natural needs? For our food, for our clothing. Paul says with these things we should be content. And so we have these examples that the Corinthians were given the gifts of faith And so has God given us faith to believe His Word and to proclaim it without apology? Do we have that in this church? Has God given that? He has. Has God given us utterance, not just to the bare bones of the Gospel, but to proclaim the whole counsel of God? Has God been generous to give us that? He has. We heard in the prayer that God has given us children, and we see them. God has given us children because He has desired that we instruct them and discipline them in the Lord so that they would be a godly generation. And so, what about leadership? Has God given us leadership? He's given us very strong leadership. And what that means for us as a church is that uh, our leadership is distributed. Not just in this church, but in other places. But what that means for us is then that we have to support that leadership. And in many ways, they're not giving directly to us. And they care for other churches. They care for other pastors. They spend hours on the blog. And why do they do this? Because God has given us the gift of leadership. So will we be jealous of their time spent elsewhere? Will we be upset that they didn't spend time with us? Will we accuse them of not caring for the flock here? But the fact is, it's one of the things that God has given us. And clear note's one of the ways in which we see that manifested. And it, I, I just think it's so amazing because this church supports clear note. It feeds clear note. It provides clear note. It houses clear note. And it does reap many of the benefits of clear note, but it puts an extra burden on this congregation. And that is difficult. But we know that in giving, God is not stingy. And if He's given, we're to give and to pour out ourselves. And so whether you're serving clear note through the kitchen, at the conference, or if you're cleaning the floors, or if you're mowing the lawn, you need to give yourselves to these things. God is generous and gracious with us to give us these things. And we are to serve others with the gifts that He has given us. And Paul goes on 
and at the end of the section to urge the Corinthians to complete their work. He says, He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. So in summary, God distributes all things, and in some cases, He distributes to others generously, and uh, some others more modestly. But the Apostle not only mentions the supply of the Corinthian church to those at Jerusalem, but also the benefit the church at Jerusalem will supply for the Corinthians. Why? So, Jerusalem church didn't have much. Corinthian church, or Church of Macedonia didn't really have much either. They gave anyways. And in God's economy, He supplies for all His saints all they need so that the church in Jerusalem would be thankful for the love and compassion of those in Macedonia. Why? What is God's purpose in that? It's to unite His church. God unites His church when others of us have much and some of us don't. And then some of us have odd gifts, like John Frediani coming up to you and asking you if you've read your Bible this week, and that being the most pointed question that you get all week. And so God blesses us and gives us gifts in many ways. And so what are you going to do with His gifts? What are you going to do? Are you going to be generous? Are you going to be stingy? Are you going to give yourselves to the work of this church? There are some of you who give and give and give. I know, I was here yesterday preparing, and all day long there are men here working at this church, doing any number of things. All day long. And that happens day after day after day. That's just one example. But there are others of you who have not given yourselves to this church. You're only here Sunday morning and maybe one other time during the week. And it doesn't mean that you have to be here, but it's a pretty good indication that if you're not here, you're probably not serving this body elsewhere. And God will be stingy with you. If you're stingy with His bride, He will be stingy with you. So be generous. Give generously. God gives graciously. You cannot consume His grace. He gives abundantly. He provides. He cares for all His people. And He gives to us so that what we have would be distributed throughout His body and that His church would be built up in love. Please pray with me.